lose everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? But, but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in sports. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It's all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host, as always, at All in Kid, in case you're coming from my guest, which comes from a really great site, which I'll let him tell you about in a second here. So just in case that's where you're coming from, let me also let you know over at The Athletic, if you want to get the rankings that I have for you every single day, every single week, uh, you know, go to one of the articles, scroll to the bottom, 40% off, 50% off. If you're one of the lucky ones, you never know. Go check it out. Uh, and uh, all the greatness over there. If you like a favorite team, we cover all of them. But in case you're looking for news blurbs, uh, the, my, my guest today, John Daigle at not Jay Daigle, because he, you, you know what, John, you can even explain that too. I think we talked about it last time in case the people missed the last show. So over at Roto World, but I want you to go ahead and before I forget something, you tell everybody besides writing the great blurbs over at Roto World, well, some of them depends on if you're on duty or not, uh, all the stuff you have going on, like your podcast, your work and stuff like that. Unfortunately, the at not Jay Daigle handle on Twitter still exists because in 2011, I made the very poor decision to try to remain anonymous in the industry, which is, <laughs> it's another time. It was another age, a de- nearly a decade ago. Every time. <laughs> what a bad decision on my part. So here we are, John Daigle still fighting for at Daigle, at John underscore Daigle, something, just anything better. But alas, we're moving on. So yeah, the Roto World Football Podcast, which the numbers are doing tremendous. We are the number four football podcast in America right now. Thank you to everyone who not only listens to that show, but also comes here to hear us guest on other shows. Uh, And then, yeah, of course, we have our season-long package, rotoworld.com slash edge, where we are consistently updating our rankings, so much so that I just went through a run here in the past 12 hours that we'll discuss a lot about as we hit on these topics. And then, of course, it's just ongoing right now i almost i had anxiety several days during the first days of training camp because it was just too much <laughs> it's like the dam broke and the water just flood on top of anyone writing news it was so much but i think we have a good grasp of where players are now where they should be going how to read the tea leaves of injuries that matter and injuries that are truly precautionary so yeah i think we're going to hit a lot on that today jake yeah, and actually, that's a really good thing I'll start with in a second here, but I want to go to one thing before we get to that. So, everybody, you don't have any idea what we just missed or what you just missed. If you want to listen to the end, we talk some wrestling because John and I are wrestling fans. I know some of you guys out there are. So, if you want to hear some Reigns talk, if you want to hear some other random fun talk, uh, just listen after the credits. That's what, that's what we do on here. So, let's talk football. And initially, we were going to kick things off with Leonard Fournette, John, but let's kick things off with Joe Mixon because the migraines are probably about to go away because he got his new contract. That's not even really what I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about the fact of where he should be because now, I initially had Joe Mixon right around RB9-10 when the migraines, quote-unquote, started. Uh, I moved him down a little bit. I redid some of my projections because if there was any validity to it, we saw with Percy Harvin what happened there. And then you said to me before the show came on, uh, you know, RB7. And I initially said, you know what? If I went back a month ago, I'd agree with you. 
But my projections for him are very in sync with what he did last year. For people that don't remember, 278 attempts, 1,137 yards, five rushing touchdowns, 35, 287, three receiving. I have him for 1177, 7.2, 268, and 2.5 receiving. I think that's who Joe Mixon is. And if that's who Joe Mixon is, now obviously there's people that could get hurt. But if that's who he is, John, he checks in at RB13 for me. So to be clear, I, we were discussing and we were talking about potentially uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Derrick Henry over what was the three holdout running backs or potential holdouts in Dalvin Cook, Kamara, and Joe Mixon. So with Joe Mixon now securing that most expensive headache in the world, uh, he now moves ahead, <laughs> I would imagine, if for teams drafting this weekend of Kamara and Cook simply because he is safe and locked into the role now. Uh, I understand your projections. I think it's important to note, though, that initially in the offseason, at first I was down because I've been drafting best ball leagues and dynasty leagues since April. And so I thought the career 313 touches and those 22 carries per game from week 10 on that he received was just because the Bengals were bad and were trying to get the hell off the field. But it turns <laughs> out... One, when OC Brian Callahan came out and said no, that week when the game plan changed was actually them restructuring their offense. And that's a big deal because that means that is likely how they approach this year. So with, Bern with Mixon now locked into that role without holdout concerns from week one on, I think the value is there for top seven if you are concerned about the other two holdout running backs. See, my biggest concern is that I think Joe Mixon should be used more in the passing game. My question is, will he be used more in the passing game? Right. That's really what it comes down to. And, you know, I, let me ask you a sidebar question because I was on Pat Mayo's show today, and this is what I think. Oh, no, that wasn't on his show. I did two different shows. I did the Virginia Beach Hall of Fame, the Sports Hall of Fame here, and they asked me um, some things about this, and this is one of the ones I threw out there. He asked me, what team feels like the Browns to you? And I said, this year, it, for fantasy purposes, it feels like the Bengals. It feels like where everything's great, like Mixon and Joe Burrow's coming in from college, and he's just going to throw forever, and A.J. Green's back and healthy. But So I guess part of it is, can you see a path to more passing volume for Joe Mixon, or do you think that stays with Giovanni Bernard? And maybe, maybe for fantasy purposes, we're falling into the Browns' trap of last year. It is such a small sample size, but you have to recall that game against Seattle in week one, when the Bengals are rocking at full strength, they did have a 71% pass play rate in a competitive game script. So I do wonder if, although, like I said, and he still only got three targets, right? Yeah. So that's the thing here. We think they're going to throw the ball more. And I do believe so with Joe Burrow. I think that is their plan of attack. Uh, Again, it's going to come to, it's kind of like the Derrick Henry argument, right? Um, we are only going on hope and Billy Bean taught us long ago that hope is not a strategy. So I am slightly concerned, but it's not an issue of if he can, if he's put in position to do so, and there are rumors and possible and slight reports and rumors that Giovanni Giovanni Bernard is eyeing getting cut this upcoming Saturday on final cut days. And if that's the case, there really, there really is no worry. I do like adding Travion Williams in the last rounds as someone who could potentially step in and have a small role perhaps, but with Barnard potentially out of the way, like that opens the door for Mixon in itself. Oh yeah. If Barnard's out of the way, I'll, 
be running to the head of the line. So the question is then, like, do you think he sees, let's say he saw 55 targets in 2018, which were 10 fewer than last year. So do you think he sees uh, more than, let's say, 50? Let's put the over under 50 and a half. 50 and a half? Uh, I would say with no geo, yes. Okay. And I think that's what we're trying to target here. And that's, that's certainly fair. And so, all right, so let me kind of go a different direction here and then ask you, let's play a little game. Like, would you rather? So as of today, uh, you put Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara off to the side. You know, that's, you know, you guys at home, you make your own decisions there. For one, Arif Hassan for the Athletics said he has zero concerns about Dalvin Cook missing snaps. Uh, so, you know, you get reports all over the place. You know this. I mean, you do the blurbs. You understand reports change by the day. So throw those two aside. Forget them. As of today versus Joe Mixon, would you take Edwards Hilaire or Joe Mixon? Edwards Hilaire. All right. Miles Sanders, who's supposedly just going to be fine and he's just being safe. Miles Sanders or Joe, Joe Mixon? Miles Sanders. Austin Eckler? Definitely Joe Mixon. Okay. Nick Chubb? Definitely Joe Mixon. Uh, Josh Jacobs? Definitely Joe Mixon. To be clear, <laughs> I have Josh Jacobs behind uh, Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler. Okay. Uh, Aaron Jones? Joe Mixon. And then last one, Kenyon Drake, whose boot is supposedly just precautionary. And I believe that is the case. I really do think it's precautionary. It's already off, by the way. He's been seen running it on along the sidelines at practice without that boot on. Uh, however, I still have Mixon one or two spots ahead of him. Okay, certainly fair. All right, so let's roll along. Uh, let's talk Leonard Fournette, but I'm going to do something different than everybody at this point, because I feel like if you've listened to any podcast within the past 24 to 36 hours, you've heard about Leonard Fournette and you've heard about the backfield. So I want your quick version of who you're going for in that backfield. Oh, uh, so, oh what, you want to really go in depth in that? I mean, I don't want to go in depth, <laughs> but when you say quick, it's just hard to get quick about that backfield because all right, there are, well then, there are so many moving pieces. So then let me phrase it this way. So the Fournette question, there's another Fournette question that I was going to attack differently. So let me phrase it this way. I'll give you my opinion and hopefully sure. that'll quicken it up for you. Maybe question mark. So I'm taking victory laps on this one, John, and I'm not taking victory laps because I was certain Fournette was going to get cut or a certain like I'm taking victory laps because everybody told me I was nuts to have Leonard Fournette around RB 20. And I said, it's because Chris Thompson, I think Chris Thompson is James White. He's back with Gruden. He's back to being in that role. And that's going to kill Leonard Fournette because he's never going to see hundred targets again, let alone. I was saying he might not even see 50. So that's my victory lap. So where I'm bringing that into this is I still only want Chris Thompson. I'm kind of annoyed his value is going to go out the window and he's going to start climbing up drafts, but I want Chris Thompson and I'm not trying to figure out the rest because I feel like the rest might be the Patriots. Oh, that's where your landing spot for him. Yeah. So, Oh no, 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 not Fournette. I mean, the rest of the backfield might be Patriots frustration. Oh, like, okay. Like, okay. I, I want James Fournette White going to the Patriots. Cause that does yes. make sense. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, it does honestly too, but yeah. So I want on the Patriots, we want James White. Nobody else. We want Chris Thompson. Nobody else. Okay. So it's like you said, I also want Chris Thompson. I don't know how long he will be healthy or in that role that we perceive him to be like James White, as you said. However, early Vegas lines have the Jaguars as underdogs by more than a field goal in 14 of 16 games this year. So although Leonard Fournette, him being absent, now leaves the Jaguars 
a short 69% of their carries from last year and all 100% of their carries inside the five. The thing is, how often is a tanking Jaguars offense actually going to get inside the five? So really, is anyone going to take that role over? Right. And my answer is no. So we don't chase that one. We want to chase Chris Thompson and all of these negative game scripts. And the another thing with Fournette also that people were not baking in is LaVisca Schnault. So like you, I was actually at dinner with uh, some very smart individuals last night. Uh, Evan Silva, you may have heard of him. Uh, Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan. And we were talking, and that was also agreed upon at the table. The projection was under 50 targets for Fournette. So we're all in agreement. It was getting cut in half. Uh, and it's getting cut in half by Chris Thompson. I think the, the red zone reports of him being a featured receiver in the red zone is overblown. But that doesn't take away the fact he's going to be on the field in these inevitable come-from-behind game scripts weekly. And thus, for me, he is a weekly PPR flex option, especially in leagues like 12 teams, 16 to 18 rounders that have two or three starting flexes. All right, so the Fournette question, this is where I was going to attack it differently for you was, is there somewhere, and I don't want to play the, like, predict where he's going to go, but honestly, is there somewhere he could go where you're even going to care at this point? Like, I'm thinking of the teams that have cat room or could even have, like, the, the only one I can even think of, John, is if David Montgomery's out for half the season and the Bears sign him. Otherwise, it's just he's going to be battling for snaps everywhere he goes, correct? Uh, potentially. There are some teams – that could be in on him, that could have breathed life into him. Not in the range you should not have been drafting him anyways, in the mid-third round range or the fourth round. Like there were, there were people arguing if he fell to the fifth round, he was a value. He was not. But if he lands on the Chiefs, for instance, I think is the primary team that could breathe life into him in a goal line and two and like not a two-down role, because I think that's still reserved with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but just working ahead of Daryl Williams. That's all he would have to do, and I think he'd do that the moment he signs. He'd so, become the best handcuff in <laughs> yeah. like, all fantasy. So that, uh, the Bears have touches. Uh, the Patriots, I believe, which would be a conundrum, I know, but the Patriots still have room for him. So I think those are three landing spots, perhaps the Bucks, but... I don't know how much life he would have there. I think the big one we're all waiting on is to see if it's the Chiefs. And for some reason, if it is, then he moves as a pick in the back of the fifth round, sixth round turn, somewhere around there. Um, you know, perhaps just ahead of a guy like Kareem Hunt I have one for you. or that range. Go ahead. What if the Saints trade Kamara and bring in Fournette? I mean, that's a LSU hometown boy. Uh, that, that was the number one player in Louisiana high school. So the, the only problem I have with that is that feels redundant to Latavius Murray. And that's why I don't think it makes a ton of sense. Correct. And we want those. What did he average last year? Whenever Camara was out uh, like 27 oh, touches. 20, like a, he was yeah. an RB. He was a top 10 running back. He was a true three down bell cow. Yeah. There's no question about it. Latavius Murray winning people championships. If you've done best bowls or if you've drafted already, how about this? And that, or just, of course, if you're listening to this podcast and nothing has happened, this is recorded on Tuesday afternoon. So nothing might have had happened. Don't go crazy yet. All right. So I want to talk about another fun backfield or I put fun in question marks. So actually this is perfect because now I have a question specifically for you, John, mm-hmm. who wrote the blurb on Roto world that Bryce love might be cut. Was that you? 
that was not, and I know who it was, but tell me what you were going to say. Cause if it's negative, I don't want to say anyone. No, 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 okay. no. It's not negative. It's just, and I'm not saying Roto world or you or anything like this is just what we're dealing. Cause this is ties into it. This is going to be a giant question for you, John. This is going to be fun for you. Sure. So you talked about before about training camp and stuff like that. This is the first year we don't have preseason. So we're having to sift through injury news, practice news, camp news, beat reporters, all this type of stuff, which normally we throw about 80% of it out. We say like, I mean, it has to be substantial news for us to move our ranks, but we don't have preseason. So this is all we have. Bryce Love two weeks ago, potential week one starter he looks as good as he did when he was a potential first round draft pick before he got hurt at stanford then just recently the report that came on roto world was actually from our athletic writer ben standig who said that he might be cut so here's here's the full question for you is one as the separate part of it what are you doing you're on you're in the mix the roto world blurbs you're in trying to sift through what matters how are you treating this this season as a whole not just when it comes to the football team the second part is when you hear this news, when you hear Love go from two weeks ago to this week being potentially cut, it's Antonio Gibson. What are you making of that backfield as a whole, period? So it's two separate questions with the same overall theory. Okay, so I know because I saw it, that report from Ben Standig got misconstrued by a, a quite a few people because okay. he was talking about the number of backs that would be active on game day. Uh, not the number of backs that would survive the cuts. So sure, Bryce Love may get cut on Saturday, but what he was talking about is if they only have three backs active on game days, those three backs would be Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson still projects to lead this team in carries. However, those are carries we aren't chasing. Uh, People act as if not getting 20 carries per game for an Antonio Gibson is a bad thing, but that's not how we want him used. We want him basically to be able to not come off the field and in being a converted receiver and averaging 11 yard over 11 yards per catch at Memphis being more like a la CJ Spiller, except unlike Spiller, this dude is six foot, 228 pounds. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I know, Spiller was good for a time. I'm, I'm just I'm, kidding. Go ahead. I'm kind of a Spiller truther. Like his body certainly was never going to hold up. Uh, what was the, what was that one quote? He's going to get the, he's going to get touches until he vomits. Oh um, yeah. I forgot about that's that. That's one of the greatest Roto world quotes pulled of all time. Uh, that body though for Spiller was never going to hold up. Whereas Antonio Gibson, I believe he can. And again, we want eight to 12 carries per game and six to eight targets per game. And that is certainly in his range. And that's why he should be targeted mid eighth round. Although I've done a lot of recreational home leagues the past couple of weeks. And I will say in the mid eighth, where I think he should be being drafted is not where he's being drafted. Uh, at that time, a lot of people don't even know to pull him at that point. So I think you can wait till the ninth or 10th and be just safe having him there. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that one. Uh, if you had to choose just pure skill set, do you have a preference? Like, is it Gibson your guy? Or is it like, do you think there's still something there with love? No, I'm a Gibson guy. Um, okay. You, you know, I, I know people cite the the college production and stats for Bryce Love, but again, he still had setbacks. He's coming off a a major injury, and he's been recovering practically all off season. There are 
his, his reports from camp have been a roller coaster. He's been up and down. So I'm still worried. And Justin being behind JD McKissick, like that can't be good for anyone. So <laughs> no, and Peyton Barber looks great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, to, and to be clear, like I don't mind love and like, 12 team 18 or 20 round drafts like you're throwing flyers at that point so i think that's perfectly fine to stash him on season long leagues but he's not the guy i'm prioritizing like you should absolutely be fighting for antonio gibson all right fair enough all right let's uh, go to another mess but on the receiving side of things so what a surprise the eagles have eight billion injuries Uh, we talked Mm -hmm. about miles sanders before but Alshon Jeffrey, surprisingly, now might be okay for week one, if not week two. So he's potentially back. But on the flip side, Jalen Rager is hurt out for four weeks, uh, potentially the entire September month, which he's a rookie, and we know what that means. Uh, I kind of lean where this is good if you wanted Jalen Rager because I felt like his stock or his price was getting out of hand, honestly. Uh, But is it Deshaun Jackson and nobody else? Or I'll flip the question a different way and say, is it the tight ends and nobody else when you're dealing with the Eagles? Bingo. Uh, so there, there are two players really here. It sucks because I was drafting Rager everywhere. I was not worried about his production from a true freshman quarterback who was one of the most inaccurate passers in the entire nation. I mean, Rager averaged 2.9 yards per route run in 2018. He's a proven elite producer already. So that was not my concern. But this recent injury now, I've moved him so far back that I genuinely, and this, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I genuinely don't think he's draftable in shallow bench leagues, whereas I was previously prioritizing him in every league. Instead, what's happened for me is not only bumping Deshaun Jackson up, so you're the rankings king, you are constantly Mm -hmm. shuffling them. I'll tell you, I have him recently at wide receiver 33 right now. I think he's a good bet at the sixth, seventh round turn or mid seventh, which may seem like reaching to some, but you look at the opening schedule and the fact that Rager may not even be involved against Washington, against the Bengals and against the Rams three, what we expect to be up-tempo matchups. That's a murderer's row of opening games that he should be one of the top producers in fantasy. Uh, So I love him in season long in general. I know people cite his injury history, but he still played prior to last year, that abdomen injury suffered after week one. He still Mm -hmm. played 15, 14, and 12 games the three seasons prior. So again, not worried about it whatsoever. I want Deshaun Jackson. I'm prioritizing him. And then as you said, the other pivot is bumping Zach Ertz up. Um, I'm still not drafting him ahead of Mark Andrews, but at the third, fourth round turn, I'm perfectly happy coming away with him as one of my first three players off the board. So yeah, that's where I'm, I'm with you with that. So initially it was like around and a half or so that I had the difference between Andrews and Ertz. I had Ertz more closer to the next group, but with this news, he moves back on Andrews' heels. I'm, I'm with you with that. I, I know uh, it's not sexy. Like, people hate it because he's more of a pontoon boat. Like, he catches the ball and falls down. But he catches – he gets 100 targets. Like, it's just guaranteed he produces as a top four tight end, and then there's the tier drop-off that we all argue about. So I'm perfectly happy, as I said, one of the first three players off the board for me. You know who else he gets? If you, I mean, assuming Deshaun Jackson is still healthy, and even if Jalen Rager is back, Thursday night football, October 22nd, at home against the Giants, who Deshaun Jackson loves to go off against, who the Giants have nobody in their secondary, even after uh, signing, oh crap, what's his face, from the Titans? The, the one that they Logan just, Ryan. 
Thank you. Logan Ryan. Bradley Roby came into my mind for some reason. And as soon as his name came into my mind, I could not get it out. Um, but yeah, and, that, that, and, and the Giants are coming off a short week. So in and, Philly. And I'll also say that it's such a small sample, but the one game Deshaun Jackson played with Carson Wentz last year, that was Wentz's only game over eight yards per attempt. So I understand Andre Diller got injured and there are these mysterious injuries going on in Eagles camp that maybe should make us worried. And I've seen some say this makes the Eagles offense fadeable as a whole. I'm not at that point at all yet. I'm still buying all of them, including Miles Sanders, who we talked about as a top six running back. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So let's move to two things. I'll combine them together because I want to make sure we get to our fun segment. And, you know, we have that fun little tease at the end for everybody. If you like wrestling. So I'm going to ask concern level. How about that? This is what we'll be this. So Devontae Parker now pushing a week plus of being on the sidelines, riding his Peloton or whatever he's doing. Uh, and then you have Chris Herndon, who today, as of recording this on Tuesday, for the second day in a row, sounds nicked up. This today, he actually went on the field this morning and left and then tried to come back and then left again for the end of the day. So Devontae Parker, concern level that it's been this long. Chris Herndon, concern level because he's somebody that couldn't even get on the field really last year. Not suspension aside, but injury. He's already dealt with injuries. So Devontae Parker, slightly worried. It's now been a week. Uh, he's only been seen on a bicycle. That's it. How The thing is, though, I was already in the camp of not drafting Devontae Parker. Uh, and that, that's probably minority in the industry. I'm probably low given consensus. But I think he was a fadable player anyhow, given that still through Miami's first eight games last year, he only paced for 56 catches and 800 yards and then and was out targeted to that point by Preston Williams, 60 to 56. And then, as we know, Preston Williams goes down and then Parker shines from that point forward on nine and a half targets per game as the only viable wide receiver besides Mike Jasicki. And this year, I have concerns about the Dolphins' offense, given the absence of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Tua has not looked good in camp, reportedly. And we are looking at potentially either Tua or Rosen starting by default in week one. So I'm slightly worried about the Dolphins' offense anyhow, and thus I'm not dra drafting Devontae Parker at his current ADP, I should say. Chris Herndon, though, I think it's still early enough that we should not overreact and we should continue pounding the table. Because he's the number two wide receiver, quote, unquote, correct? I mean, yeah, he's, there's no one else for targets. Uh, I think it could have been Brashad Perryman, but given his injury as well, it is clearly Crowder and then Herndon or vice versa. In any bold predictions podcast or article, Chris Herndon going, finishing as a tight end one should be the easiest bold prediction. Um, I know everyone is concerned about last year, but it was an absolute disaster that we should not use recency bias to fade Chris Herndon. We should absolutely be buying him, especially because he's only going as the Titan 18, like in high stakes leagues. Even that is egregious in my opinion. Thank you. Well, to, to let you know, my, for my bold prediction article, this is exactly what I said. This is, oh yeah. I, I, I almost went with Chris Herndon being a tight end one, but that was too common of a prediction and is way too easy. So my bold prediction was Brashard, my Brashard, it. It was Brashard Perriman was going to be a wide receiver one for the season, but that's probably out. I mean, it's a bold prediction article. I said if five of these happen, enjoy it. Um, and Brashard Perriman can't even get on the field, and neither can Denzel Mims, and neither can – there is legitimately nobody on the field. Jameson Crowder even got banged up, uh, which sounds precautionary, but just that jokes aside, I, hey, even if you're not a fan of Sam Darnold, you have to feel bad for the kid. <laughs> He's been like – 
<laughs> he's having nothing to throw to. Hey, Le'Veon Bell is stocked back up, right? Even if he sucks in the running game, he's still going to get 80 targets. <laughs> Where do you have Bell ranked, by the way? Uh, uh, let me scroll because, back Because up. I, again, in the past 24 hours uh, in our rankings kit, I adjusted mine, and I moved him down to RB29. Oh, no. See, I'm not that low. Uh, mostly okay. because I do. I have him for 55 receptions. So I have him as RB20, and he's been kind of sitting right at RB20 the entire season, offseason for me. So I was, I was in this big 12-team, uh, 20-round draft with Evan Silva and a few other names in the industry um, on Saturday evening. And at the fifth, sixth-round turn, I went Cam Akers and Kareem Hunt over Le'Veon Bell. And I'm a big proponent of if I can't do it, then I'm obviously not going to suggest people do it. So I had no choice but to move Le'Veon back because I'm not comfortable drafting him over guys like that. See, and that's why this is, I appreciate, even if we disagree, which we do, John, mm -hmm. I appreciate that two things there is one is your rankings reflect that what you would do. And then oh, two, yeah. that you just said that if you're not going to do it, why would you rank them there? Because I feel like too many people, and this isn't like throwing stones, just type of thing. It's just, I just feel two people, like I'm not saying for the rankings of like, oh, I want to look good. I'm just talking about like playing it safe. Like people are just like, well, you know, Le'Veon Bell should be RB22, but I'll pass on him that point. Well, if you're going to pass on him that point, move him down your rankings. Like I always tell people, I rank to my projections because I trust my projections. And um, this, isn't, this isn't a victory lap because I didn't trust myself. I always reference last year, my initial projections runs had Lamar Jackson as QB2. And I looked at myself and I said, that's too high. And I pushed him down yeah. against my projections to QB7, which was a mistake. But I mean, I don't think anybody expected Lamar Jackson to do that. But that's why I do the same thing, which is what you just said. I'm going to draft down. When I'm in a draft, I'm crossing off my names and going down my list. Exactly. Yeah. I, I will always live by that. I assure you, even if you think my rankings are wrong, that's fine. But it is exactly what I'm using in my own live drafts, no matter the stakes. And that's the way that you should be doing it. And that's the advice we should be taking from you. So I appreciate that. All right. There's one that I want to talk about before we get into the segment. So I told you before we came on, but I'm doing a Taylor Swift segment every single show now. This friend <laughs> of the show, Greg Sussman, he is the one that said he wanted to see me do it because he was listening to the one of the podcast. And it was funny that I thought about it. And he mentioned the same thing is that when you mentioned the rookie running backs, it's just, I don't know how it happened, but across the entire industry, somehow, it's Taylor Swift. Like, everybody names Taylor first, and it's Swift second. And it wasn't intentional at first, but now it's become kind of intentional. So, first, before we get to the Taylor Swift, I do want to talk DeAndre Swift, who is finally back on the field, but still limited. What are you doing? Because I was taking DeAndre Swift as a low-end RB2. I thought he was going to push on Johnson aside in like a 50-50 role to start and then just take over by week five or six. Now I feel like he's more Miles Sanders where you're going to have to be patient and wait until weeks five or six until he starts to get the lead. So were you on the same page as me? Were you just off in general? What are you making of this backfield? To be clear, Miles Sanders of last year, not this year, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I just want to make sure we're in agreement there. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. I was drafting him everywhere. It's weird because I've done a roller coaster with DeAndre Swift. I was concerned about the landing spot in his role. And then I got sold the more zero RB or waiting on RB I had been implementing. Because as we know, 
for upside, we're chasing the running backs who are going to receive targets. And no matter how many carries or how few carries DeAndre Swift receives, the fact is he was still going to get the targets on that team. And that's why I started chasing him more and more in the fourth and fifth round. But now it's like you said, it's Miles Sanders of last year in which it's going to be a slow start. It wasn't just Matt Patricia who said this. Uh, OC came out and said it as well. So we believe at least for the first two weeks, Swift will be limited. He may know the playbook already, but he's still going to be limited to catch up. And so what I've been doing, the pivot, has been I've been treating on Johnson, although I was not drafting on Johnson at all. I've been now treating him as a, as a Band-Aid, as like a guy I know I'm going to start over J.K. Dobbins and a few of the and Nicole Hardman and a few of those other guys that are going before him because he's going to get the touches in week one for sure and perhaps that role moves on further the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you 100%. Here's one thing I will say, and I've been saying this a couple times now, is that remember, like Miles Sanders, because of that, and Swift will still be looks like it if you're following recent ADP going ahead of where Sanders was even going last year is you can't really play the like Sanders last year, let somebody else draft and go trade for him because if somebody's investing a fifth or sixth in Swift, they're probably going to be very reluctant to let that go in a trade. So it's mm-hmm. either your, your options are draft and be patient or just stay away. Like, I don't think there's a middle ground like you could have done last year with Sanders. All right, so let's have that fun. So the song choice for this week is I didn't even know this was the name of one of her songs. This is what Greg Sussman did. He sent me the names of the songs so I could actually pick from them with the themes. The theme that you get this week is Back to December, which is a great song because I want to specifically focus on a few players from December. You don't have to go too long on all of them, but just, you know, in, out, does it matter? Does that value that we saw? It's basically what they did last December, where they ranked, and what are your thoughts of what it means, if anything? It can mean nothing to you. Uh, for 2020. So the first one is the, I'm going to start with the most obvious one. I was going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, but let's start with tight end because it's the most obvious. Tyler Higby, tight end number one. Uh, we know what he did week after week after week after week for four straight weeks. There's the counter argument, faced bad defenses. Gerald Everett was only out there for one game, all that type of stuff. But Tyler Higby, number one tight end, does that hold any value? Does it mean anything to you for 2020? vaguely it doesn't mean much to me and that's not a knock against Higby I just think the with Gerald Everett being healthy to start the year that already takes away from Higby's targets and it's more of a range in the draft I'm avoiding altogether that's why I'm not drafting Tyler Higby is because where he's going his current ADP there are still better receivers with more upside there are still those running backs we target that are supposed to get catch passes even someone as simple as uh, James White and Tariq Cohen like those guys are there and they have roles and so I would rather draft those players and wait at tight end and grab for instance Herndon Blake Jarwin um, someone else in the much lower range of his position. Yeah. Uh, okay. Certainly with you in there. The biggest thing is I wish I could tell you what McVeigh was going to do, but that's what makes him so good. We have yeah. no idea. If you, and if remember, you told me, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, and remember uh, what he does doesn't mean anything for the following weeks. Like we saw right. early, <laughs> like have a high touch rate, but play 60% of the snaps. And then he comes back from injury and he's an every down player, oddly enough. Like it just, he changes so often. And so that's what I'm concerned about. So that's why I stick to the players we know will be on the field for him, which are golf, Cam Akers, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup to a lesser yeah. extent. 
Yeah, I was going to say the end because that's one of my concerns. I, I still have Cooper Cup as a wide receiver too. But, and again, those Haynes, games though. that, yeah, like the fact that Josh Reynolds started pushing Cup, Cup was 90% every single game until you got to week 11 and all of a sudden it was 60, 90, 70, 73, 80. Like it's just, okay, that, that, tell me Cup is back at 90%. I'll put him as a wide receiver one. Anything else, I'm concerned. But all right, so like next one. And I don't think people realize this. And I think people are forgetting just how good he is in fantasy because not only was he still QB seven or QB six, depending on the site you played for in fantasy points per game, because he missed time last year, but for the month of December, Drew Brees was QB one. Everybody, people don't realize that. Are you, does that matter? Does that, I mean, I, you, you said it's wild. I, do we put some stock into that? The past two years, the guy's averaged just right about 20 points per game. Yeah, so in his 10 healthy starts, he averaged 24.3 fantasy points per game. That yep. is wild, given that he's now 41 years old, heading, heading into the season. It's still, though, it's so dumb to say, but it is still concerning that on money downs and in those fruitful territories, he gets taken off the field. Like that absolutely <laughs> has to be factored into the analysis. So pork chop sandwiches, Jason Hill. <laughs> it's true though. It happens. So I'm fine with him as a low end quarterback one. I, I just think you have to be careful. I still think uh, Matt Stafford, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm trying to think. And maybe Tom. Yeah, Brady. I would take him in front of Stafford. Uh, I'm a big Stafford. I'm a top nine Stafford proponent. Although, hold on. If he loses Kamara, I don't know if I will. <laughs> oh no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you definitely cannot take him. I mean, he probably moves. See, I actually didn't factor that in. Uh, I have to think about this now that these things are happening, but he probably moves out of QB1 territory in that. I instance. would think so as well. I'm with you on that. All right. So how about on the reverse end? Another one I don't think people realize as much as he's everybody's breakout quarterback. And I mean, everybody top five. I mean, are we doing Baker Mayfield with this guy this year? Kyler Murray for the month of December was QB23. Does it mean anything, John? The big thing here that I always cite is that last year, per Warren Sharp's Straight the Schedule tool, Kyler Murray faced the league's fourth toughest passing schedule and that he still escaped as the QB8 overall. So that in itself matters because this year they have a much easier passing schedule. They have the 12th, the 12th toughest or softest, depending you want even to go, pretty much leave at league average. Um, and then to also add one of the league's best receivers who is more of a, I understand a contested catch threat as opposed to a threat for separation. I still think the sky's the limit for Kyler Murray. I still personally have him as QB four. Although when people tell me they draft Russell Wilson over him, for example, it's something I clearly can't argue against. Like you have to understand that because Russell Wilson's floor is top five and his ceiling is number one overall. Yep, he actually had interceptions in four of the five games. He threw seven for the month of December. The only game he didn't, he only threw for 118 and one touchdown against the Seahawks. So to your point, uh, that yeah, that's just, I mean, that kind of a testament to how good he played up until that point. Uh, but just found that very interesting. Of course, QB's flat. I mean, QB 23, one extra touchdown could have moved him up to QB 15. But that's why it's out there for discussion. Let's stick with this team. You talked about it before. He's out of the boot. He looks good. Kenyon Drake for the month of December. RB3 for the month of December. I'm going to give you my opinion first on this one. 
Uh, just because I've said it time again, the reason when we were going through that list earlier, I have Kenyon Drake just as a fringe RB1 because I just don't trust that he's not Deshaun Jackson of running backs. Like the volume of three games were six, over 60% of his fantasy value. And I'm not saying he can't flatten for everybody out there that thinks I'm crazy. I'm not saying he can't be more consistent. It's just those other games, single-digit performances, those other games were pretty miserable. And he's got a very nice backup behind him. I just... I don't know if I can buy into Kenyon Drake as an RB1. Can you? Yes, I can. I'm still quite high. Uh, just to average, you know, those 18.9 touches, 101 yards, 19 and a half fantasy points per game in Arizona and, and joining them well ahead of both Chase Edmonds and David Johnson, who I understand were in and out of the lineup. But the fact is they didn't have roles. They averaged under three touches per game behind Kenyon Drake while he was the primary back. So I think that's super important to note because he's going to be a bell cow. Uh, I still like Chase Edmonds as a handcuff, but yes, I'm all aboard Kenyon Drake. And it sounds much higher than you. Yeah. I'd say I just feel safer. Like all those names we were talking about before, I would take them all just for, and I'm not even the biggest Aaron Jones fan just because like the thousand yards and all those touchdowns, I feel like he's going to cede some of those to AJ Dillon, but still get the yard. I, I love Aaron Jones on a per touch basis. I just don't love how the Packers use him. But I would still even take Aaron Jones. But like, look, I'm happy to be wrong on Drake. Uh, it's just the kind of the Amari Cooper. I've never owned Amari Cooper just because I don't want to deal with that headache. It's, All right, so it's more of an offense I want in pieces in. Uh, yes. You know, we can argue if DeAndre Hopkins is overrated or not. Um, but either way, the touches are going to be there. The the play volume is going to be there. And so yeah, it's just a good offense I want to invest in. All right, so let's go to the next one. Melvin Gordon has been all over the argument. If you've been following on Twitter, everybody, it's been, I want Melvin Gordon as a borderline RB1. It's been, I'm completely off Melvin Gordon. You're nuts. Uh, it's all over the map. I mean, you have people throwing out stats every single which way, which you know this, John. You can find stats to back up your argument almost with anybody. And I know mm -hmm. you just find a stat. And that's why... I know that, you know, you're probably the same way as like, I like to watch film. I like to include stats. I like to include multiple stats because catching one is going to, you know, often be the catch there. But one thing that did happen when he was back and splitting with Eckler over the final eight games, he was a borderline RB1. In fact, in December, he was RB12 while Eckler was still RB11. Philip Lindsay just ran for a thousand yards two years in a row. Still got a lot of carries inside the five yard line. Melvin Gordon, borderline RB1 for the month of December. Does that matter to you? It does, but more so because the passing downs will go to Melvin Gordon. Uh, Philip Lindsay, we know, will not be a threat in that area. He was not a threat in that area as the primary back. And so now behind Melvin Gordon, one of the most impactful receiving backs in the entire league, that is his role. And that's why I still don't mind him as a low-end RB2. The issue is Denver's offense is not one I get excited about investing in. Between Drew Locke's poor performance, I understand it was a small sample size, but poor performance across five games, and now trying to transition and under a new OC, uh, left tackle Juwan James opting out of the year, and then just getting all these rookies caught up to speed in an offseason that doesn't really allow for a normal regimen, uh, I, I'm not excited about this offense at all. So, while I do have Melvin Gordon ranked as a low-end RB2, he's not one in particular that I'm going out of my way to select unless he falls drastically. Okay. Uh, next one. One more running back. Boston Scott. RB17. Yes. 
they had Greg Ward as their leading wide receiver. We all understand that. And I'm not telling you to treat him as RB7. I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm making an argument already. I have Boston Scott on so many teams, John, mostly because I'm not going to make a James White comparison. I'm not going to do all – I'm going to make somebody who used to be on this team comparison, Darren Sproles. He's the new Darren Sproles. That means somebody can be the lead, and he can still have RB3 value in PPR, fringy in half-point PPR. Why don't – so I'm going to just completely rephrase this one. Why wouldn't people want to believe in December and Boston Scott? How about that? So last year, when Sanders was healthy in weeks 14 through 16, Boston Scott still got nine touches per game on 28% of Philly's offensive snaps. So I still am investing heavily into Miles Sanders, but I think there is a small role for Boston Scott and it could be more like how the Chiefs are going to use their top two running backs, whoever might be behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the end. So I actually still like drafting Boston Scott as a premier handcuff with slight standalone value behind Miles Sanders. Yeah, speaking of which, have you noticed how the Chiefs, there's, there's a little beat reporter stuff for you right there. The Chiefs backfield has been like a different handcuff option every single day. Now it's Darrell Williams. Is, I'm still going with DeAndre Washington. I know what the reports say, but I just, after Washington's use behind when Jacobs went down, I don't know. I just, I'm a Washington guy. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong on that one because they're all free at the end of draft. I, I will give in that DeAndre Washington is certainly the superior player. And so maybe that's the only analysis we need to talk about. But <laughs> right. Daryl Williams has still been used more on reps behind Clyde over Tolaire. So that's I true. still think that matters. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking both because I think Saturday is going to make the choice for us. Like whether it be Hopefully. Darwin, DeAndre, or Daryl, I don't think it'll be Daryl that perhaps gets cut. Like that's going to make this decision easier. I'm really curious to see Saturday just in general of like how many teams keep four plus running it's gonna backs. It's going to be wild. What's going, I mean, the COVID thoughts in the back of their minds. I really think the NFL should expand it, should have expanded rosters, but that's neither here nor there. All right, last three. Three wide receivers before we get you out of here. Michael Gallup, uh, you've already seen the list. So everybody out there, real quick before I say it, think to yourself, where was he in December? Time's up. He was a wide receiver one. He was wide receiver 12, more consistent than his teammate, Amari Cooper, for the month of December. Michael Gallup also now has Mike McCarthy. He also now has C.D. Lamb. He also now has Blake, Blake Jarwin, who is the breakout du jour of tight ends this year. So Michael Gallup, does that mean anything to you that he was a wide receiver one? Absolutely. One of the top buys as a wide receiver two or three, depending on your build, uh, just to lead Dallas and targets from week five on. And I understand that Amari Cooper slowed down because he was banged up with that shoulder injury down the stretch, but just to stick around and make those strides in year two. I mean, uh, with 113 targets, he increased his performance to 2.1 yards per route run last year with the Cowboys. So although he isn't interchangeable because he's not a slot receiver, he can't move in and out like C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, there are certainly enough plays to go around. There are certainly enough targets to go around since Randall Cobb and Jason Witten both leave behind 83 all together. So I think there, yes, is a certainly a path for Gallup to finish as a wide receiver too, and it's still one of the better buys since he's not being treated as such. Okay. I definitely agree with you. Last two, here we go. Plays for the footballs. Uh, Steve Sims caught i don't know if you even mm. realize this a lot of people don't realize this of dwayne haskins touchdowns for the last three games 
Sims caught all but one of them. Steve Sims was wide receiver 15, even while Terry McLaurin was going off at the end of the year. Similar to somebody who's not on this list that I almost put here, but Anthony Miller at the end of the season, still with Allen Robinson being a top 10 wide receiver, was inside the top 15, but his didn't carry till the end of December. That's why he didn't make this list. But I love Steve Sims late because funnel targets. I want funnel targets. We should be in on Steven Sims, correct? Yes, we should. And it's actually kind of funny that Sims hasn't uh, vaulted up draft boards, like even to the 14th or 15th round yet, despite there being negligent competition behind Terry McLaurin. Like there is a wide open race to be Washington's number two receiver. And I think it's down to Steven Sims and the, the, the funniest thing you're going to hear all day, Logan Thomas. <laughs> if only because Antonio Gandon-Golden, at the end of the day, although he produced in college, was still a small school receiver who yep. I think we should expect to struggle in his first year. He can still be a great prospect down the road, but I'm not concerned with him at all in year one. And so it's either Steven Sims, which is the better bet because he is interchangeable. And they've actually, Scott Turner, who I think is still one of the quietly one of the best hires of the offseason has actually moved Sims to the boundary more in camp because he was strictly a slot receiver last year. But if he becomes a tertiary guy, that means he's going to stay on the field more, which only helps him. Yeah. I'm completely with you on that. Yeah. Gandy golden, good old Liberty, uh, for the good stuff that's still going on at Liberty. And Liberty actually had one of the softest <laughs> schedules in college. So it was not only small school talent, it was against one of the, e- the nation's easiest schedules as well. Yeah, I like he's got athleticism. He could be a red zone threat, but now you're talking about do you want 30 yards and a potential touchdown? Because if you don't get that touchdown, whoop de doo. Right. One other thing when I watched film of him too is against some of the mediocre, like not even the softest schedule. Like let's even take some of the, and I put this in quotes you can't see higher level because you just talked about how weak the schedule was, but some of the quote unquote higher level you know, teams that they did face, he struggles to separate. And, you know, that's a a big guy and you don't always have to, Des Bryant never separated, but you know, a rookie coming from Liberty, all that incorporated. Like I like him as a long-term, but yeah, I'm with you. It's definitely Steve Sims. All right. Last one. Last one. Let's go back to the downside. Let's go to the downside of a quarterback. We talked about before Kyler Murray had one of his wide receivers, wide receiver 59 Christian Kirk, who is now behind Deandre Hopkins Ooh, what are, you, what are we making here? Because Fitzgerald hung around for another season. Andy Isabella is getting talks, so maybe he gets a target per game now. Like Christian Kirk, 59, does that, that move the needle for you? So what I like most about Kirk is not his usage, which it's clearly going to be there, although he may be the number three option in that offense. It's the fact that, like we just talked about with Steven Sims, Kirk can certainly be used everywhere and thus stay on the field as the number two or number three receiver. Uh, For instance, through week eight last year, he ran 80% of his routes from the slot. But from that point forward, he only ran 14% of his routes from the slot because they changed his position entirely. They moved him to the boundary, which means he's going to stay on the field no matter what DeAndre Hopkins does, no matter what Larry Fitzgerald does. So while I am concerned about his ceiling, I think if you are fading Hopkins, you should still be buying Christian Kirk. And that's certainly fair. Are you fading Hopkins, by the way? Uh, I'm not fading Hopkins per se, but I think he's a low-end wide receiver one. See, I still have a wide receiver five or six. I, I think that the drop-off is not going to be as enormous as people think. As um, I tell everyone, I, I understand we have to. I just, I mean, imagine how much time we're wasting argue, arguing about half a fantasy point. Like, it's such <laughs> the incremental arguments we have at tables. It's ridiculous considering they're all in the same tier and we should all just be drafting from tiers. 
Unless, of course, you don't have DeAndre Hopkins in your, in your first or second tier, then that's a different argument altogether. You're breaking dishes over there? What the hell are you doing at the end of the show here? <laughs> no, I'm at, it's going to be edited, so it's fine. I'll say it out loud. Uh, I'm at Silva's, and he's getting water. <laughs> uh, speaking of, yeah, uh, he's one of the just, like, commandeered my kitchen. <laughs> I'm taking it. <laughs> I was supposed to be here for a couple days visiting him, and now it's a week, and it may be longer. We're still in discussions. Well, it's a good thing we're at the very end, so let me know when he's done getting his ice into his glass and so I can close this. <laughs> he's done getting the ice now. All right, all right. Well, what's up, Sealy? What's up, Evan? <laughs> That's great. All right, he's done now. I might leave that in just for the fun of it. <laughs> can you hear him? Uh, yeah, I can hear him oh, laughing okay, cool. in the background. This is terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like really smiling, legitimately laughing over here. Uh, so, real quick before you get out of here, uh, you can pimp Evan's site too. But, John, tell everybody again one more time podcast, articles, where to find you, all the good stuff. So, make sure everybody out there knows. The Roto World Football Podcast, again, the number four football podcast with six and a half million downloads this past month. Thank you to everyone. We will always be there every single week about to up the schedule to three episodes per week, including a Sunday morning show. And then we'll be bringing back the Sunday night recap show that everyone loved. Uh, and then also just the, the, our season long package that's going on rotoworld.com slash edge $4 a month. I told them to increase the price because that's absolutely ridiculous. They don't listen to me. So it's going to be $4 <laughs> a month for weekly rankings, outliers and cheat sheets all available. And then, yeah, we're still, the news is still rolling on. All of our packages are still rolling on. And then uh, you can go to establish the run.com too, if you want to. You can't. Hey, why Evan Silva is having the great Adam Schefter. I'm having the great John Daigle on my podcast. I appreciate that, buddy. (laughs) Uh, For everybody out there, I'll be back next Wednesday, like right before the season starts. Good grief. It's already here. And all we're celebrating, it's already here. So make sure you go follow John and all his good work. And of course you guys, I don't have to tell you about Evan Silva. Obviously, he popped in at the end. And uh, everybody have a good one. Yay, football's back. And I want to know, John, how excited did you get when Heel Reigns showed up? Oh, that's what you want to start with. People come for football, and then they have to put up with five minutes of Hill Reigns. Um, I think it's good. I think it's odd they're doing this now without fans. But then again, it's kind of a great way to go since they also just turned the Fiend. They did a double turn with the Fiend and Braun Strowman. Right. Uh, Who's going to complain about Reigns and Paul Heyman? Yes, it did seem like it came out of nowhere, but it is a match made in heaven, especially with Brock Lesnar, apparently out the door, I guess, now. Yeah, Brock Lesnar is a free agent. Uh, I don't know if he'll go. Okay, for wrestling fans out there, sorry. Just skip forward. (laughs) I'll put a timestamp or something for non-wrestling fans. I don't think, on a side note, AEW should even sign them. Like, they're doing good enough. They're doing it. differently you know building talent building names that we haven't had a chance to see or taking names from wwe that didn't have a chance and even making them into stars don't don't bring in brock uh, uh so i don't have i don't have a problem with wwe letting him go because he was kind of overkill i i'm hugely i'm not a reigns mark i was just kind of like i always hated how much hate he got unnecessarily um, it was similar to when Seth Rollins was super face and, you know, busting his ass every single day, every single week. And people just got tired of him for no reason. Like just, they were like, yeah, all right, okay, whatever Rollins. So 
I just think people just love to hate on things. Uh, but I do think the heel is great. And here's the biggest reason I like it. It's not even the fact that he's heel and he's with Heyman, which is a great mix. Uh, it's he got, he got rid of the stupid vest. Thank you. That was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that dumbass vest. That and the theme song were the two things still. They haven't hold, changed it yet. Right. But like hold it, they held on to his character too much for the shield. So to at least get the vest out of the way, because the only reason he was wearing it in the first place was because was that was shield. A, a shield, of course. So I'm glad they at least moved that far. Now, if you go to someone like Keith Lee, who I think they took too far in the opposite direction <laughs> to get rid of his beard, give him a terrible theme song and make him wear the vest. Uh, I think that was a bad decision. But See, Rams, I I'm the- okay I hate Keith Lee's clothes more than I hate the song change. Like the song, I, I mean, I do, I appreciate the old one from NXT a lot better, but I don't hate the new song as much as everybody else does. I think it's just because the other one was so great. Uh, it would almost be like taking Shinsuke Nakamura's song and just randomly changing it to something because it's so great. Switching it makes it worse. But I actually think that the outfit is actually worse in my opinion. Uh, to me, it's not really about saving the song. It is about always reaching in their grab bag of garbage uh, uh, garage band <laughs> default songs and pulling it out and just pressing play because that's how that seems they pick songs like songs don't match characters anymore and that's my biggest no. not so I, I think it was nakamura nakamura actually had a different song nakamura that's what it was nakamura i'm pre- i'm almost positive originally they wanted to give him finn balor's song And he said, no, he wanted something different. And he got the one he has now. I know he declined the first. I remember reading about it because it's such an epic song. They said something that he turned down his first song and got that one instead, which is obviously epic. But, you know, all right. I'm sure people are rolling their eyes enough. Although it seems like there's a decent amount of wrestling overlap in the fantasy football community. You're going to have to either timestamp this or cut it and put it at the back for sure. I I blame that on you. No, no, I, I'm 100% putting it at the back. I, okay, that's good, what I was, good. That's, that's what I always do. I always put stuff like this, but I'll at least let people know that it's coming. And then, yeah, that's the- In that case, really quickly then, I'll say I was actually in attendance in Dallas for WrestleMania weekend for Nakamura versus Zayn. And I recall looking at my buddy after the match and asking him, did we just witness something special? Because even the energy in the arena, it felt spectacular. Like the aura was incredible. Still one of the greatest matches I've ever seen live. <laughs> that's it you know what my first event ever was since we're doing this now and it's after the fact probably uh an older one right because you like me go way back yeah uh i also i was at the first ever table tables ladders and chairs at SummerSlam uh in north carolina back in 1999 so was that what... the triple threat yep nice. that was edge and christian hardy boys and the uh dudley, dudley? boys yep yep that was a really good one too. That's a special moment to be at for sure. Yep. First ever. And Kane in person looks like he's 15 feet tall. And of course that's when that match mattered. It wasn't just thrown onto a pay-per-view title uh, like hell in the cell. Hell in the cell used to matter. Now it's an annual <laughs> thing, which that should not be the case at all. It should always just end blood feuds. And that's it. <laughs> I agree with you.